Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Morphing Tower podcast, the podcast where things happen and I don't have to justify myself to you, Harriet. Anyways, I want to start off by reading a memo that I received. This uh, is covered in Windex. It's dry by this point, but the smell is still definitely there, which, since it's not signed, I can only assume this is from the Window Washers Guild, which, based on the ongoing war between the Window Washers and the swarm of birds that have been circling the top of the building, I don't know exactly what this uh, missive could contain. But I, I will begin by reading this chemically altered piece of paper. <clears throat> to whom it may concern, the birds they arrive by twos, by threes, the grackles, the jays, the crows, the sparrows. They fly, they fly, pecking and clawing, dividing flesh from marrows. We shall try our best to hold them off until the eventual dawn. Signed down at the bottom. It looks like whoever was writing this maybe died, maybe? They don't sign it. The pen sort of drifts off the paper, which, um, gosh, I guess the, the birds are a much bigger problem uh, up, up at the top of the building than I thought. I thought the window washers would have this figured out by now, but dang. It looks like, um, I don't know. It looks like maybe the birds are, are are racking up a body count. Anyways, today I am joined by Thomas. Say hello, Thomas. Uh, what was that about the birds? Yeah, I was just going to ask you, This we're standing in an aviary, and I'm maybe I'm just seeing things. Is that window over by the break area cracked open? Uh, no. Oh, okay. It's probably just one of those, like, window screen things that you can't really yeah. see. Maybe you should get your eyes checked. I don't know. You know, I've I've heard legends that there's actually a, 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 a man who wanders the building giving surprise eye exams. Yeah, go find that guy. Um, cause, mm. Well, maybe a couple of birds have escaped. Um... I be on that one, but <laughs> so what do you do here in the in this aviary? What's your job? I take care of the birds. Oh, okay. I don't know what that guy was going off about, though. Okay, can I just clear this up? Because what birds did he call out? He said sparrows, jays, and grackles. Yeah, yeah let's see: sparrows, grackles, uh, jays, and crows. Yeah. All right. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about, because if we're talking about birds ripping flesh, none of those are birds of prey. The closest you get there is a crow. A crow isn't going to kill a man, okay? The only aggressive bird that would possibly attack a human is a northern goshawk, at least in terms of birds that I keep here. So, if he wants to go throwing shade at birds... Just don't, don't link it, don't link it to those birds, because he's just destroying his credibility. You can't trust a dying window washer. And and on a side note, are he's are probably all... losing so much blood. Oh, sorry. yeah, no, no, you know, you're right. Be a little delirious. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you have all your gosh hawks here? Like, are they all accounted for? I mean. There's a lot of birds. 
Okay. Fuck. Fuck, man. <laughs> this is a big, big aviary. And it's, it's a freaking. Me. It's a big aviary, one open window, and I guess, you know, hey, things happen. Let's move over to this part instead. <laughs> Okay, it's good idea. Like trees around us, you won't be looking at the windows. Right. You won't be distracted. That's let's, right. Let's shuffle over here. <laughs> Maybe we can just move on from the gosh hawks. Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's do that. So it's an honor having you on the podcast. We go way back and like <laughs> I gotta just start off. My legs are freaking killing me. Because really? the other day I was at like a, a young adult event that at the end of it, we were doing something unrelated. And then someone was like, hey, let's play dodgeball. Here's the, pro here's the problem. I happened to be wearing a hoodie and steel-toed hiking boots at the time. Uh, <laughs> so well, you took the hoodie off, right? Uh, well, that's the thing. I couldn't take the hoodie off because I wasn't wearing a shirt under that. Who walks around in a hoodie without a shirt underneath so what listen I, I got up to go to work that morning and it was a situation it's one of my favorite hoodies but it's also like small it's like too small to like wear a shirt under it because you could see the shirt underneath like it wouldn't fit right and it was a colder morning but i knew that if i wore a second layer it was going to be way too hot because i work you know, I'm I do some logistical work. And so like the area where I work sometimes can get really cold. And so I needed my hoodie. <laughs> but if I'm like moving around a lot, I can I can overheat. And so I just grabbed that. I wasn't thinking and I didn't have time to change when I got back from what I was doing before I went to this event. And so I I screwed up my knees, my legs, my feet hurt so bad, jacked up my toenails like it's a mess. It was fun. But like, uh, yeah, I, if anybody's wondering, I wouldn't recommend uh, playing dodgeball in steel toed boots. Thank you, Sherlock. We <laughs> You're that. welcome. Well, it's an honor to have you on the podcast. Um, I've been following your long. work for a couple years now. Uh, I can see that uh here on the terminal uh that the earliest video that you posted at least that's still public um was from three years ago and you've been doing like quality work for a long time like consistently um and i know that that's not just me blowing smoke obviously because we know each other because like when i went to the comment section on your most recent post uh the end of rivals like the comments underneath that video is basically everybody saying the same thing of like bruh why don't you have more subs why don't you have more views like why doesn't everybody watch this channel yeah i've been doing this for a while now and well the reason why i'm not very big is because i don't always put effort in i'll go long periods without editing without making anything and then i'll get a flash of inspiration to make something and i'll make it or if you watch hashtag 1007, I mean, it was a similar scenario there, but that video I worked on for over two years, I think. Really? Yeah. I mean, there were periods on and off where I was working on it or not working on it. Um, but I'll put more effort than I need to into the videos. Um, <laughs> 
Like even if I go and watch that one, hashtag one zero zero seven, the highlight combo video, I look at it and I'm like, why did I do this? Why did I? <laughs> but then I also look at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I could have done this so much better. Oh my gosh, I could have done this so much better. Um, so I do, I do always look back at my videos and I see points where I could improve and I see areas where I want to grow. And then it makes me eventually get back onto editing and create something again. And to be honest, like as far as like artistic mediums and like the way that an artist works, like no matter what your medium is, I actually think that that's better. Like the fact that you, you don't just create mindlessly or you don't force yourself to create if you're not feeling inspired. I think that there's a really bad habit of artists to feel like they constantly have to keep pumping stuff out, um, even if they're not inspired. And I think it's not their best work. And if you're not passionate about it, if you're not getting any entertainment about it, who cares about other people? It's like, if you can't enjoy what you're making for yourself, I mean, don't, don't do it. So I think, like, as far as, like, release schedules, I wouldn't have it any other way when it comes to your stuff, where it's like, I'd gladly wait months before i get a video and have it be something that you're actually passionate about versus just cranking something out because you feel obligated to but i guess we should back up yeah. real quick can you explain what rivals of ether is because like if you were to explain it to somebody because i remember when you first introduced it to me this would have been probably three to four years back we went uh we got a couple of the scout buddies together and we played a little bit of it I played as a bob -omb character that would crash the game every time I used my special. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, was... It, was so, it was so much fun, but like, can you explain what Rivals is? Okay, so... Probably most people, if you've heard of Rivals of Ether, you've heard of it through custom characters, like said bob -omb that would crash the game, <laughs> which are created through the Steam Workshop, uh, Rivals of Ether is a pixel art game, so you can just create pixel art and then program a character. And some people are really good at it and have made incredible custom characters. Other people make jokes. Uh, usually the jokes become the most popular ones. The most popular <laughs> character that was created as a custom character I absolutely hate. It's a stupid Ronald McDonald meme. <laughs> And unfortunately, it's probably the most well-known Rivals of Ether uh, character. But the people who are like me, who care about the competitive nature of the game, we generally don't deal with much of the workshop stuff. It's almost like two separate games. There's the base game and then the custom characters. And the custom characters are like a party game. And then the base game was developed around being competitive. Um, right. So if you've that, ever, yeah, yeah, if you've ever seen Super Smash Brothers competitive sets, uh, like for example the infamous Wombo Combo clip, um, <laughs> Rivals of Ether as a game was sort of inspired by that. Super Smash Brothers as a game wasn't developed to be competitive; it was developed to be a party game. Rivals of Ether is a similar game, but it was developed to be competitive. Um, oh, I did not know that. Yeah. And so the thing about it is Super Smash Brothers, you might not know this either. The Nintendo developers have tried numerous times 
to kill the competitive Smash Brothers scene. Why? Uh, They're not a fan of the fact that it exists. Well, the main developer of Super Smash Brothers, uh, Sakurai, have you heard of that guy? Yes, yes. Yeah. He is a very opinionated person, and he created Smash to be a party game, and he wants it to stick to being a party game. Um, and, like, he, yeah, he's not a fan of the competitive scene, and I'm sure there's plenty of other higher-ups at Nintendo who don't want it to exist. There have been, like, numerous instances where Nintendo sent out cease and desists to tournaments that were running, um, especially since Super Smash Bros. Melee is an old game. Some guy just developed a way where you can play it online with rollback netcode, which is the most amazing <laughs> netcode possible. And he just did that in his free time because he was that passionate about the competitive aspect of the game. <laughs> and then at one point, someone was trying to host a really big online tournament and Nintendo shut it down. Dang. Uh, because it was playing with a modded version of the game and you're not supposed to mod the game. Oh. Um, you're supposed to just play it as it is. But it was in the middle of the pandemic, so there's no other way to play the game. Um, so, yeah, Rivals of Ether doesn't have that problem. Instead, the developers support the competitive aspect of the game a lot. Like this video, the end of Rivals got retweeted by all the developers on Twitter. That's amazing. Like, I noticed that Dan it was popping Finesi. off. Yeah. yeah. Dan Farnese, the creator, like... Uh, quote tweeted it and he was like this is an amazing video about the competitive scene go watch it that's awesome i'm so i'm so happy for you man that's awesome yeah uh the developers are great honestly like i don't necessarily agree with all the balance changes sometimes or like new characters stuff like that but the developers care and that is really wonderful they it, they care it, about their yeah. community they care about their players and they're making a sequel now and you can tell they really care about making that as good as possible so i was going to ask you about that because i saw that clip in the in your video that promoed the second game and obviously yeah. the first thing that i noticed was i'm like oh it's 3d and i my yeah. first thought was like i wonder what thomas thinks about this like I, I was I'm curious to hear your thoughts about it. So I don't particularly like how it looks. I love the pixel art and I guess I'm in the minority. There are a lot of people I've seen in comments on YouTube videos, on Twitter, on whatever, who say, Yeah, I'd play rivals, but it's pixel art. I'm like, what? <laughs> Why is that stopping you from playing the game? Uh, and frankly, for me personally, I think the pixel art looks better than the 3D models. Um, I guess I'm like a pixel art purist or something. I don't know. Like the same thing when Pokemon went from pixel art to 3D, oh. such a massive downgrade. Oh, it's always looked so much uglier ever since. Um, I don't think Rivals 2 necessarily looks bad though i just like the pixel art better do you think that the style change was an effort to have the game be taken more seriously because the first thing that i thought of was like in 
I thought one of the charms of the game was the fact that it was pixelated, was the fact that it kind of carved out a niche of being a Smash Brothers-esque game. It's in the similar genre. It's a fighting game, but it was pixelated. And people could make their own characters a lot easier, I feel like, if it's pixelated versus 3D. Is that wrong? Yeah. No, that's completely right. So we haven't gotten any news on whether or not Steam Workshop and custom characters will be included in Rivals 2, as far as I know. And that's because it's way harder to mm. implement that for you know 3D models. I don't know that much about 3D modeling. I did a little bit of it um, earlier this year. But I, I know it's way harder to animate 3D models than it is to animate pixel. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. It tracks. based on my little bit of experience, <laughs> yeah. That aspect might be gone, the whole custom character thing. Hmm. It might come back later, though, because, like, Steam Workshop was sort of added in the middle of Rivals. It wasn't around when the game first came out. Uh, they just added it later on. Hmm. And then it popped off uh, in quite a few different ways. And so, you know, just because it's not there at launch, even if it's not there two or three years after launch, that doesn't mean it's never coming. Right. I do think the change from pixel art to 3D was done to appeal to more people. Mm. There's, I guess, like you were saying, it can make the game be taken more seriously. There are people who won't play the game unless it's 3D. I guess. <laughs> it's a large group of people. I don't, I'm not one of them. I don't understand these I, people. I, I don't get that exist. either. Yeah, and, I don't, you know, I don't get if that. If anyone's listening to this and you know why, put it in the comments, please. <laughs> I I just don't understand it at all. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't thing, get it either. One thing is it makes the camera a lot easier to like follow the characters. Right, because in Rivals you can't zoom in and zoom out, or if you do, there's pixel art games that do that, but it looks weird. Um, so programming a good camera into the fighting game is easier in 3D. Uh, okay. So I can understand wanting to play a 3D fighting game over a 2D one in that aspect. Anything else? If it's not a complaint about the camera, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it either. Again, I think it it's like part of the charm of the game to me. Um, I was going to ask, so in the base game, how many like actual official characters are there? And do you think that uh, the second game, like, it, okay, so let's say the, the style's different and that could make a lot of people kind of upset. And if they don't immediately implement some sort of workshop, the only way I could see appealing to the people who played the first game is to have a crap ton of playable characters that are, like, new, and they all have different control, like, movesets and abilities. Like, the only way I feel like that you could offset, like, maybe some of the anger of the people who love the first game is if the second game has a lot more characters. So, like, what's what's the player or the uh, character count for the first game, like, the official characters? Right now it's at five. Five? In second. In the second game it's at five. Did you ask about the first? The first has like 16, I think. Oh, right dang. Now. That's more um, than I thought. Yeah. So 
Well, I think most people who have played the first one are excited about the second one because they know it's going to be a lot bigger than the first one was. And just the idea of having a larger competitive community is extremely appealing to everyone who's played the first game. Yeah, especially um, if, like, Nintendo's super not cool with, like, the competitive scene. This gives yeah. players who... Want, like it's almost like a guilt-free competitive experience it's like yeah. i don't want to, and it, to there's going to be more money in it if it gets bigger there's right. absolutely going to be more money if you have developer support right exactly um but then aside from that there are mechanics that they're adding into the game that weren't in the first one that should help reduce some of the issues people have with the first one. Like, the parry mechanic in Rivals 1 is cool, but then after you've played Rivals 1 a lot, you start to see the problems with it and why shields are usually better. Rivals 2 has both a parry and a shield. I don't really know how that's going to work out. I haven't even played the game yet. It's been at one event that I went to. The line was just too long wasn't worth it. I had to to go home and catch a flight the next day, and I wanted to see my parents again before I left and hang out with them. There are a lot of mechanical changes that get people from Rivals 1 excited for Rivals 2. They're just excited about having a bigger game that's more popular and a more um, vast competitive scene. So, very, very few people are like, not looking forward to Rivals 2. Okay, so does that mean that you're... Are we going to see more videos from you after the new game comes out? Like, are you still going to make your awesome, like, compilation videos of the new game? I don't know. (laughs) I genuinely don't know. Um, Maybe. I don't... I've spent so much time figuring out how to mod rivals how to set up the best recording settings, looking through all the different sprites and stuff, Mm -hmm. all these specific small bits of knowledge that are only exclusively useful to editing Rivals of Ether. Uh I have the most vast (laughs) amount of knowledge that will become useless the minute Rivals of Ether is not the important one. Um, and so, yes, I do have general video editing knowledge as well. I mean, the most recent video, The End of Rivals, is just, like, more general video editing. It's not super specific stuff to Rivals. Um, but a lot of the knowledge I've built up over the years of doing this is not going to transfer to Rivals 2. And if I personally play it and I'm not a big fan, I'm probably not going to be making videos. Yeah, that makes sense. But like, no, no pressure. Obviously, I'm just curious. Would you make more videos like End of Rivals, where the main focus is less on actual gameplay and compilations, versus like, I mean, you did some like investigation type stuff. You like in- interviewed the players. That was like when I saw you on like the Discord calls with them. I was like, this is so cool. He's like interviewing them. Like this video is like one of my. It's one of my favorites that you've done. Like, because it just felt the most, like, researched and, like, well-written and well-paced. Like, would you do more videos like that versus just out-and-out compilations? Yeah, I might. Um, I definitely enjoyed making this. 
there are a lot of so i already talked about super smash brothers there are a lot of videos like this and super smash brothers melee that have made it easier for me to get invested in that competitive scene whereas this is pretty much the only one of its kind in rivals <laughs> um just because it's a smaller community and also because it's an easier game than melee is um the rivals community is not nearly as passionate about its competitive scene and so like there aren't people making videos about what happens in right. the tournaments there which that's people... good because that that means that your video isn't going to get lost in the in the sea of other content yeah this might be the one and only rivals of ether mini documentary uh unless i make another one about it before the game dies well i have to um, say like based on my limited knowledge of the game like if this does stand as like the primary video that represents the competitive scene and like some of the interesting backstories and history of like the main three rivals pun intended of the game i yeah. think it like you did a phenomenal job thank you i'm glad i was able to convey that to someone who doesn't know <laughs> anything going in yeah basically yeah my only experience like i said i know how to crash the game i just play as bob bomb and that's pretty much all i know all i know is the special button because it would just if i was losing it was like my ultimate play you've triggered my trap card say goodbye to your game and yeah that's pretty much all i know but um i actually need to quickly back up and explain everybody who has watched uh my maze essay has you to thank for that video because for those of you listening who didn't yeah, know, was an awesome video too. Thomas was the one who introduced me to that book. He brought the book on a car ride, and then subsequently we looked at it over the course of like a campout. And I like immediately went home, and I don't remember if I asked for it for my birthday or Christmas, but my first copy, um, or no, you know what? I think you let me borrow your copy. That's what it was. I think so. You I let think me so. borrow your copy. And then after it? I had it and gave up trying to solve it, <laughs> I was like, I need my own. I need my own. Did you lose it when you borrowed it? I don't know. I don't, no, 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 no. What, I think maybe what happened is I just borrowed it for a long time or like we both forgot that I had it and then oh, I brought it back yeah, one year. Yeah, no, and that you were sounds like, about right. You, you were like, I completely <laughs> forgot I loaned this to you. Yeah, like I completely that, forgot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that video. The only reason why that video exists is because you showed me that book. Yeah, that book's awesome. Um, and that was a really good video. You should make more videos like it. I I've got one in the chamber. I'm writing up the actual script for it now. Have you ever thought about doing like video essay stuff? Because like I said, even the the your most recent video sort of dipped its toe into that. Kind of like, like a video essay. I don't know. I would yeah. call it a mini documentary. Like I said. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, what's the difference between a video essay and a mini documentary? Um, I think video essays tend to be a little bit less, like, okay, as an example, so like in your video, you have a lot of actual footage yeah. of things happening. You have actual interviews. Oh, yeah. Video yeah. essays, any schmo can just like make an assertion and then pull some right. sources and be like basically that's... just you talking the whole time right yeah it's like you wrote an essay and then spoke it out and put visuals with it. precisely i think 
I think yeah. your video involved, there are a lot more moving parts, um, yeah. not just from like the script writing aspect, but also like the editing. Like I think documentary style videos, usually there's a lot more that goes into finding footage of things and having visual representations. In, in the video essays I've made so far, a lot of times there's just like a black screen and then a, vi a visual will happen and it'll fade back to black um, yeah. just because that's a simpler a simpler thing. I've put in a couple like video clips before, but I think the focus, I think there's just a different, I, I feel like it's a situation where you know it when you see it. Like yours is most definitely more of a documentary style than mine are for sure. Yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Um, honestly, for me, I'd rather just, at least right now, I don't think I have any desire to make something that's like a video essay. Working more on improving documentary formats would be awesome. So, like, when I watch this video, like I said, always when I watch my videos, I look and I see things where it's like, oh, I could have done that better. <laughs> um, there are so many ways I could have stylized this video to just make its quality that much higher. And I didn't because I was just lazy. Like, hey. I took a long break from editing before making this, and then I made this over the course of two different weekends. Uh, because editing sometimes just makes me angry in terms of, like, how much time I need to put into it to make something mm. that's good. Right. Uh, so, after, like, the beginning of this year sort of like in the spring i was just really angry about editing and didn't want to do it um yeah that's fair after that's making fair. this I, I haven't edited anything since i mean this only came out two weeks ago <laughs> but <laughs> like uh, two weeks at the time of recording i don't know when you're gonna post this right but... no i i get that i get i get I get uh, caught up in the preparatory stuff and get frustrated with the fact that, yeah, I actually have to sit down at my computer for hours to make it happen. I wish I could just yeah. snap my fingers and fast forward, like, through all my, like, after I've done all the planning, I wish that I could just <laughs> have it done the way I envisioned it. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes one of the more fun parts about editing, though, this doesn't happen with the whole mini documentary thing at least not as much, but when I'm doing a combo video is when I just have a really loose idea and then I go in and I just mess around until it looks good. And then I look at it and I'm like, wow, that actually looks good. I did not expect that going in. Uh, <laughs> I love that aspect of making combo videos. But then I look at how much time has passed and I get mad. <laughs> Fair enough. But like outside of, um, outside of editing, like, what are you doing, like, outside of work? And is there anything else that you're, like, passionate about that you do just for fun? Uh, well, I love bird watching. Of course. Uh, yeah. As evidenced by the aviary. Yeah, just watch out um, for the gosh hawks. Yeah, do what? We're, we're safe here. Um, <laughs> but my favorite bird right now is this bird called... Florida scrub jay. Okay, um, hold on. Let me hold on. Let me look this up in the terminal. Yeah. Florida. Well, it's it's not that unusual looking, but you know the name. I have, I have a very close connection to the word scrub. <laughs> um, <laughs> the so. picture of this bird on uh, Wikipedia. 
is really funny. Like when you actually like click open the picture, he has a very here. I'll pull it up. I'll pull it up here yeah. on the on the terminal for you. The picture of this freaking bird is so funny. He's just like the pose is just really funny. I, I can't explain it. <laughs> it looks <laughs> yeah, like you did so just you. It looks like you so did just cute. call him a, a scrub, and he's like turning his eye towards you, like what? What did you Told call me? That's not like the cutest bird ever, though. It's a very okay. cute bird. It's so friendly. You can get so close to them, and they're not scared of you. I've seen photos of people where they like land on their head or their hands. I'm trying to get to that. I've only been to the scrub jay preserve twice. I gotta go again soon because they have a whole preserve just... for scrub jays. Well, it's a scrub land preserve. It's like 40 minutes from me. <laughs> scrub, scrub, scrub okay, land. So... Scrub land sounds like where you tell, like when you're insulting someone, like you tell them to go back to scrub land. <laughs> it's a legitimate habitat. Okay? <laughs> I know. It's a legitimate habitat you can be sent to. You get sent to the scrub lands. So the scrub, scrub habitat is, um, it's very sandy. It has short like short to medium height bushes and trees and it is maintained by natural fires every five or so years in scrubland preserves they usually set times when they're going to do a fire every five or so years oh con like controlled burns yeah exactly um so it's a very unique habitat in terms of like where it can be found i think it's kind of unique to florida like the florida scrub jay is the only bird which can only be found in florida in the united states i mean it makes sense um, because the synonyms like the um when you look up the actual like the scientific name it's literally corvus floridanus like <laughs> it's like yeah, it's very it, specific it should be the florida state bird i'm mad about the fact that it's not what and is the Florida State one Bird? One day, I think it's like the osprey, which is like understandable because there's osprey everywhere here. But I've I've heard conflicting sources that it's the osprey or the northern mockingbird, both of which are very common here, but they're also very common across the entire freaking country. This is a bird that only lives in Florida. <laughs> it should be the Florida State Bird. Thomas is going to be outside of like City Hall just him with a sign protesting i would join a florida scrub jay protest to make it the state bird instantly you have no idea how much this means to me so according to their website uh the official florida department of state the mockingbird is their state yeah, bird this stupid bird that lives like <laughs> across half the country they decided to make the florida state bird instead of this beautiful unique bird that only exists in this land it's ridiculous. They look so much friendlier than like an actual blue jay. Oh, they are. Blue jays are like the most, they, they're notorious for being the most rude birds ever. They scare away other birds. <laughs> Literally the blue jays call is, uh, it's like evolved to mimic the calls of hawks so that they can just intimidate other birds with their call. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're the Jay the Blue Jays call is like glass being poured into your ear. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Blue Jays are so unnecessarily mean and aggressive. And then Florida Scrub Jays are like the good timeline version of Blue Jays. <laughs> the, the the Pokemon evolution. Like the yeah. the good version. Yeah. No, I never well, even heard of a Florida Scrub Jay. 
Yeah, because you've never been to Florida, probably. Well, this is true. Have you ever been to Florida? No? no, I have not. I've been, let's see. I've been, I think I've been somewhat close. I'm trying to think about, like, the furthest south I've ever been. Because um, I've, many years ago, my family, we took a trip to do some, like, college visits, and we went out to uh, Arkansas. But we didn't drive that far south. I think the probably the most south I've ever been is probably South Carolina. Okay, yeah. Um, speaking of Arkansas, that makes me think of another bird I'm very interested in. Okay. Uh, and you might be interested in this. It's, it's an interesting bird. So it's called the ivory-billed woodpecker. This is the most controversial bird in the United States. Okay? Okay. I'm pretty sure death threats have been thrown over arguments about this bird. Um, I've never seen them, but I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Um, okay. So, uh, you should you should pull up what the ivory billed woodpecker looks like. I'm seeing a lot of like black and white photos. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> there's a heated debate on whether or not this bird is extinct. Um, and it is from the southeast U.S. It lives in dense swampy forests. So it is extremely difficult to explore the lands where it would live. Uh, there hasn't been a confirmed sighting since, I think, the 1940s. Dang. Uh, but there have been many non-confirmed sightings since then. And it looks very similar to, so on this image at the top, you see the pileated woodpecker. Yep. Which is a smaller black and white with red crest woodpecker. Um, <clears throat> and then below it, you see the ivory-billed woodpecker. Um, so earlier this year, a paper about the ivory-billed woodpecker came out, which compiled like 10 or so years of trail cam footage and sound recordings, um, basically presented evidence to say, we think we've seen it. Really? It's like blurry stuff because it's trail cams. And <laughs> it's, it's like, like it's like seeing it's Bigfoot. Not, yes, yes. <laughs> this is the Bigfoot of birds. Um, now, personally, I was convinced. I listened. There's one very convincing sound recording on there for me. And there's another very convincing video because the feather patterns on their wings, uh, you know, when they're flying, the pileated woodpecker and the ivory billed woodpecker. They have distinctive differences. There's a lot more white on the wings of the ivory build. And so in this paper, you might be able to find it, go through it on your own time. You probably don't care. I'll probably put that, it in the resources underneath. I'll put it in the resources underneath. I care underneath. enough <laughs> to go through all of it. Um, they show a pileated woodpecker making a certain flight maneuver onto a tree, as well as an ivory-billed woodpecker making the same maneuver onto that tree. Well, not the same tree, onto a tree. Mm -hmm. And, or, their video of what they think is an ivory-billed woodpecker. You know, it's not confirmed that it's an ivory-billed. But, when I compare those two videos side by side, I see a distinct difference in the pattern on their wings. I see a lot more white on the one that they're calling the ivory build. And I believe that that video is of an ivory build woodpecker. That um, would be great also, if that was true. I, like, obviously, I would hope that that bird isn't extinct. 
yeah, no, this bird is awesome. I would love to see one one day. Like, as I get older, I really want to get more and more into conservation efforts and, mm -hmm. uh, like, birding exploration. I Now that I live in the southeast U.S., you know, there's a chance maybe I'll start getting involved in ivory build woodpecker stuff. It's a slow process getting involved in this stuff. Um, I'm working on it. So on uh, on the Wikipedia article, it's really funny. Is up at the top. It's like not to be confused with the ivory billed wood creeper. If I pull up an image here on the terminal of an ivory billed wood creeper, tell me, would you confuse that <laughs> with an ivory billed woodpecker? Uh, no, <laughs> but I've never actually heard of it. Where does this live? Uh, the ivory billed wood US, creeper. Right? Is like, uh, yeah, Central America. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Well, now I know about the ivory built wood creeper. Uh, I would not confuse it with the ivory built woodpecker. <laughs> I don't ever, know. How, how would you? How could you? It's a similar name, you know. I mean, I ivory suppose. Wood. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Different things. This, this guy creeps the wood, the woodpecker <laughs> pecks the wood. <laughs> yeah, you got to get it right, you know. Not to be confused with the ivory build wood climber, the ivory build wood sniffer. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think? Do you think the ivory build woodpecker's out there? I'm a believer. I believe it's still out of there. You are flying the around. The only person you've talked to is me. Exactly. So. <laughs> One time I made a tweet about the ivory build woodpecker, and some random guy comments on it and he's like, Oh, you are a true casual. If you think this bird is still alive. What? <laughs> How so sad does your life have to be that you feel compelled to respond to a tweet telling someone that a bird they hope still exists doesn't exist. Okay. Well, to be fair, I wasn't saying I hoped it still existed. I said, I believed it still existed. Right. But like who <laughs> but... freaking cared? Like who, like, yeah. Who has the energy? Who has the gall to do that? That that man needs to be banished to the scrublands. Uh, it was really funny. It's really funny. <laughs> Dude, like when I was thinking about like different topics conversation for this podcast, I was like, I have to like stay as far away from like Boy Scout stories because we wouldn't stop. You probably have a much better memory than I do. All I can remember is walking around, going on hikes, and everyone would talk about freaking Minecraft. And I didn't play Minecraft. <laughs> I had no idea what anyone was talking about. Now you know the what that feels time. like. Now you know what it feels like when, when you were first getting into Rivals of Ether and Overwatch. I was like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Uh, the Overwatch phase was short-lived. Yeah. It, it's so funny. I was so much more excited for that game before it was out than after it was out. <laughs> I, when I first played it, I really liked it, but then I played it more, and in general, not that many people even care about Overwatch these days. So, something that's crazy, is I just thought about this the other day, is you're also the reason why when I watch a Terminal Montage video, when uh, they do the whole weird arc about, uh, like, time travel and, like, speed running when Luigi opens the back of his time machine and it's one of those bugs from Super Mario 64 jittering back and forth, you're the only reason why I knew what that meant. 
Because of, of the watch for rolling rocks and 0.5A presses. Or exactly. Exactly. I was like, oh, oh I get that joke. It's speedrunning joke. Incredible. That video, like, again, another example of, like, I had no idea what I was looking at, but I was fascinated. Yeah. No, that. I cannot even comprehend. <laughs> you know, I was telling you about, like, okay, I've gained all this extremely niche knowledge about <laughs> how to mod rivals right so that it is more easily editable where you can find the different sprites for each stage things like that like in terms of the internals of the visuals of rivals i have a lot more knowledge than most people you know probably right below the developers and maybe the guy who made the modding tool um, <laughs> <laughs> then to have that level of knowledge that Panenkoek, whatever his name was, has about the internals of Super Mario 64. Dude. Parallel <sighs> universes. <laughs> Dude. Like, I, how do you even discover that stuff? I, have, I don't know. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. We're like, dude, the reg the base game almost made me quit. Like the regular <laughs> Mario 64, I almost gave up on some of those levels because of how frustrated I was getting with the controls and the camera. I was like, I can't yeah. with you. I just finished playing oh. Sunshine and then I went backwards and played 64 and I'm like, ah. Oh, you were frustrated about the camera on the regular maps? Now navigate yourself without the use of any camera because you're on a parallel universe. And if the N64 <laughs> camera goes over there, it crashes the console. <laughs> you just got to play blind. Exactly. <laughs> That's like the wild. I love that type of stuff, though. I love um, like really niche game breaking stuff, like not even game breaking, like even just like out of bounds stuff that fascinates me to no end like the the possibility that you could accidentally clip through somewhere in a game is so fascinating i was talking with jonah uh my cousin yesterday uh, about uh, the old minecraft pocket edition obviously you probably didn't play it but yeah, in the original version of the game the world it only had one chunk that you could actually explore like it wouldn't load more of an infinite world because it was a tiny game on the phone but what was really weird you could walk to the corner of the map because everything else is just an invisible wall. You could build straight up and you could literally walk out of the map. Oh. There, It was like a raised surface. Like your, your entire world is just in like a sunken basin. And if you build straight up, you're level with the top of the world map and you can just walk away. You can just walk out into nothing. And like that stuff like that is just so interesting to me. Hello, everybody. Just wanted to break in here real quick during the podcast. The way I'm editing this, Thomas and I actually end up talking for a little bit longer, and so I decided to split this episode into two parts. So next month, you'll get the latter half of our conversation and a little surprise to boot for Christmas. So thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next podcast. Bye-bye.